Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Today, I'm joined by a very fascinating man right here. Very intelligent, insightful, a guy who's uh, explored different realms of, of living. He is the author of the book, Unsatisfied, When Less Is More. It just hit Amazon. It's, it's flying off the shelves. You can get it on Kindle for just 99 cents. That's right. 99 cents. You can get that so quickly. So make sure you capitalize on this opportunity now. Welcome to the episode, Matt Lesser. Thank you for being here, brother. Hey, thank you, Leo. It's, I've been looking forward to this. I'm grateful to be here. This word unsatisfied is so relevant for me right now. I struggle with sugar and carb addiction. Um, and one of the things that they say to do is after you're done eating is to tell yourself that the meal was satisfying. Hmm. And what I love about that idea is it reminds me that I've had enough. I, I spend so much time yeah. exploring the more that I need. I need. I need more of this. Oh, it is missing that. Um, that I rarely take the time to notice when I feel satisfied. Hmm. Well, and I know that you come from a corporate background where you were highly successful. You checked all the boxes, highly degreed, highly accomplished, and yet you felt unsatisfied. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, it's 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 where the uh, the book came from was uh, a combination of um, talking with leaders from literally all over the world um, and my own story, and it just kind of intersected at the same point, at the same time. So um, how it came to be, Leo, is that I had I spent um, about six years traveling all over the U.S., Europe, and Africa and uh, meeting business leaders. And I was, I was in a private equity firm and we were looking for opportunities to invest or to partner with or whatever it may be. And oftentimes the conversations would happen over coffee or a beer or whatever. And, and it, was, it was normally with the owner, founder of the business. And it would go something like this. I've spent my whole life sacrificing sacrificing usually meant I've sacrificed my marriage. I've sacrificed my kids to build something that I thought would give me lasting satisfaction, income, all the things that you, you checked all the boxes, right. To say that I have arrived in life and, and then it would turn, the conversation would turn extremely emotional and, and they would say, and here I am. And I have all those things I thought I wanted and I'm absolutely miserable. I'm devastated. My marriage is gone. Many times they weren't married or if they were, they're on second or third marriages. Kids were grown, wanted nothing to do with them because they sacrificed what was truly important to them for what they thought would bring them satisfaction. And here they were oftentimes in their fifties and sixties and saying, if I could do it all over again, I would. And at the same time that I was having these conversations and I didn't have it once or twice or five times, I had it a hundred times. And at the same time as having these conversations, I was at a point in my own life, in my own career, I was in my 40s at the point, my my uh, my early to mid 40s. And I was starting to have these same kinds of thoughts. You know, I was gone 20, 20 weeks plus a year. I was, I have three kids. My oldest had just graduated from high school. 
And as we were going through his his box of pictures, right? You always put the pictures out for the uh, graduation parties. And literally, I pull pictures out and say, where was, I don't remember this. I don't remember that. I don't remember that. Where was I for this? And then I began thinking about, okay, wait a minute. Well, what have I missed with my daughter and then my youngest son? And I'd honestly, Leo, I, I was broken. I was absolutely broken because I realized I was doing the same damn thing where I was sacrificing what was truly important to me for this thing that I thought would bring me lasting satisfaction and joy and purpose. And it wasn't, it was a lie. It was just a lie. Well, and I understand it because I went to a Catholic school, right? Fourth grade through eighth grade. And it is drilled into you how much Jesus sacrificed his life so that we could thrive, so that we could reach the holy land or be with God or have our sins forgiven. And so it is drilled into you from a religious standpoint, this idea of sacrificing yourself, your life, your needs for the greater good. And also culturally, the the world is like, be better, do better. Like, don't leave any money on the table. Like, where did the message come from? Where did you think that for you, the messages came from to achieve in the way that you did? Or do you think that was an inner thing that you were born with? Oh, wow. That is a great question, Leo. Man, um, for me, I think it was a combination. You know, the the way that I am wired, I am wired. I, I'm driven. I'm a go-getter. Um, to me, it's, you know, if if left to myself, man, it's like, there's my goal. I'm going to get to my goal. If you get in my way, I'm going to run you over. And, um, and that's the way I lived a lot of my life until I began to become more self-aware and, and a lot of things, a lot of things kind of collided in my life at the same time. And I became painfully aware that I have this relational wake behind me of people that I had hurt and I had run over. And, um, and I had these, you know, figuratively these dead bodies behind me. And, and they were relationships that I had ruined over the years because of my drivenness and my desire to, to achieve more, to achieve better, to get greater. You know, and that's why the subtitle of the book, When Less Is More, because, you know, for years I chased that more, right? I, I wanted more. I wanted bigger. I wanted better. I wanted, you know, whatever it was, I wanted it. And, and the more I chased it, the more miserable I became. It was interesting to me that the more money I made, I didn't become more satisfied. I became less satisfied. It, it and I, I joke about it now because now I'm I'm doing completely something something completely different, something that I've dreamed about doing since I was a teenager. Literally, I'm making less money now than I've ever made in my career. I'm more satisfied, fulfilled, and purposeful than I ever have been, and it's absolutely crazy because that's completely opposite of what we're sold as a culture. Yeah, we're definitely sold to pursue, achieve, climb, drive, drive over people if need be. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. Run them over, uh, yep. push them down uh, to get to where we got to go. I mean, there's so many movies made about those people, and we we cheer the anti-heroes now. <laughs> <laughs> you yep. talked about things colliding for you. Can, can yeah. you talk to us more about that? Because one of the things I'm going to assume when I look at people who uh, I, my friends who are sound to be as driven as you are, 
they run into health issues. They run into, like you talked about, relational issues. Was any, did any of that come into play? Like what, what, what collided and what started to slow you down and bring you self-awareness? You know, Leo, there have been, um, as I look back on my life story, there have been several, um, I'm going to call them mile markers. There have been several specific things that have occurred in my life. And I really believe now it was, it was, it was God trying to get my attention, but it didn't work because I'm so dang hard headed. Um, you know, as a, as a teenager, I, I had a very rare blood disease. I spent literally a year in the hospital and, and it was restricted because it was so rare. Um, and that didn't slow me down in my, in my early twenties, my mid twenties, actually, I took over our family business unexpectedly and suddenly, and within six months it had failed. And I went through a deep and dark clinical a suicidal depression. I mean, I almost ended my life over it. And, and coming out of that, now I learned some really valuable lessons, but I, I missed, I think, the bigger story of, of slowing down, of per, pursuing purposeful and meaningful um, purpose in life. And then as I approached my, my end of my corporate career, it was realizing, oh my goodness, here I have I have been working my tail off and I have sacrificed so much I've missed my kids. And then um, over the last several years then, I have been searching for answers. I have been sick. I can't tell you how many times I've been sick. I've, I got science infection, um, upper respiratory, pneumonia. I've had COVID six times. And um, and I, I, I never... I, and I could never find the answer of, okay, why am I sick all the time? My, my, uh, my dearest friend is a doctor. He's my, he's my, he's, he is my doctor actually, uh, which is odd at times, but, uh, but he, uh, but literally I'll never forget. Um, two years ago, he said, I've, I'm sick of this crap. He's like, you're sick all the time. I don't know how to help you. He's like, you're getting sicker. He's like, you're not getting better. You're getting sicker. And so he sent me to a hematologist who did a bunch of blood work and he found an anomaly. That led to a whole bunch of more tests, but finally a diagnosis. And so basically my system, I have half an immune system, half my immune system does not function. And without treatment, I would be dead probably within a couple of years. With treatment, I can live a fairly normal life. Now it requires a weekly transfusion, a weekly, not a transfusion, a weekly infusion of, of um, immunoglobulins. Um, that's what keeps me alive and healthy. And, and that's working. But the, the point is this, is that I, I've had these markers along this, the way in my life of where it's like, okay, listen, you need to slow down. You need to pay attention to what's truly important, because if you don't, you're going to get into your 50s and 60s or whatever. And you're going to have huge regret and huge shame. And I was beginning to face that even in my 40s. And so uh, I hope that answers your question. But that's that's the that's the of, what all began to collide. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think it, it sounds more like a cumulative effect, right? Where yep. you had this blood disorder from a, a young age, and then it sounds like you were abruptly thrust into the family business, which then that collapsed. And um, and there was, I'm going to assume, uh, there was shame around that, which, because you talked about wanting to end your life. Can you, can you, because this is a suicide prevention podcast, can you talk to us about what were the emotions and the thinking that was involved at that, in that time where you thought about ending your life? Yeah, no, happy to. Um, so as I began to uncover, um, so how I, how I got into the business was I, I had just graduated from college. Um, and I went to work in the business, which I didn't necessarily want to do, but I needed a job. 
And, um, and so after a year of doing that, I went into my dad one day and just said, dad, this isn't working. And one of us needs to go. And I'm guessing it's not going to be you because you own the stock. So I'm leaving. I had no idea what I was going to do. And he flipped it on me and he said, actually, he said, I'm leaving. And he did. And he left my mom, left the business, left my younger brother, and he moved 1200 miles away on the way out the door. He signed it over to me. And over the next six months, I began uncovering problem after problem after problem after problem, and the problems were bigger than I could handle. I couldn't fix them. And we're talking about some major ones. I mean, some that involved criminal prosecution, and they were coming after me because my name now is on the bottom line, even though I didn't do it. They didn't care. I mean, it was like, hey, listen, doesn't matter. You own it. You have to take care of it now. And with each problem that accumulated, I mean, I had no money. I had no way to pay it. I was literally, it was, it was, we were surviving on credit cards. Um, and there was just, uh, and I was getting threatening phone calls all the time. Work, home, didn't matter. And, and with each phone call, with each letter, with each contact, I got sicker and I got sicker and I got sicker. I began experiencing panic attacks. I didn't know any of this terminology. You know, I, first of all, I stopped sleeping. Then it was anxiety. Then it was panic attacks. And, and then it was this overwhelming sense of this, my life is never going to be any better. Um, this is, this is the best it's ever going to be. You know, I, I was helpless. I was hopeless. And that's where, when I reached the state of hopelessness, I, I describe it as I felt like I was just in this big black hole and there was no light whatsoever. I couldn't see anything. Couldn't see up. I couldn't see down. Couldn't see out. There was no way out. It was like the walls were covered in glass, and I couldn't get out of it. And and I saw no way out. I saw no help. You know, there was because I couldn't see. There was no light above. No light at all. And when I started to feel like that, I felt all alone. I felt like nobody understood. Nobody nobody could understand what I was going through, which is a lie. You know, a lot of people under go through. This. I didn't know that at the time though. I was isolated. I was insulated. And when I began to have those thoughts, it was just like, you know what? Nobody would miss me if I'm gone. Nobody would care. You know, I had these thoughts that, you know, if if, if my life ended today, not, not a single person would go to my funeral because nobody gives a shit. And, and when I started having those thoughts was when I began realizing, I began thinking that my life has no value. And, um, and that's when I began thinking, you know, the only way out of this is I just got to end my life. That I'd be better off. My wife would be better off. At the time, I'd been married for about eight months. You know, I was like, my wife be better off if I was gone. My mom, who I, I hired my mom to come work for me. I was like, she'd be better off. My younger brother, who I felt responsible for, I felt like he'd be better off. And um, and so those were the emotions. And I, I, I wish I could tell you that it was rational thinking, but it wasn't. It was all irrational. It was all emotion. It was just raw emotion that I kept experiencing in a day-in and day-out basis. Before we talk about how you navigated your way out of that, out of those emotions, out of that black hole. I found it was interesting that you said you were in this uh, dark hole. You couldn't see up, down, around, and the walls were made of glass. Why glass? Because you can't scale glass. You can't climb it. Wow. Man, I just got chills in my body. How did you scale the glass? Um, I didn't. Um, there was just one miracle after another. And so, you know, this is, so the way out of that hole began like this, I had picked a day and I, I had picked a day. I didn't pick a time. I picked, I knew the way I was going to do it. And I picked the day I was going to do it. 
And I went into my office. I had not been in my office at this point for probably three months, maybe probably uh, two months, two months. I walked into my office. I walked in, I walked past my employees, walked into my office, sat down at my desk. I pulled out three pieces of paper and I was going to write three letters, my wife, my mom, my little brother. Before I wrote one word, I did actually have a rational thought. And the rational thought was this. I had, I knew that my parents had taken out a life insurance policy on me and, but I didn't know any of the details. And so rather than just calling the guy who happened to be a lifelong friend of my mom's, I drove three blocks down to his office. He happened to be in that day. We talked for 15 minutes and I left. By the time I got back to my office, my mom greeted me at the door and she said, Hey, let's go out for tea which is something we did normally. And she's like, I'll drive. That was unusual. Usually I drove. Well, on the way to our tea place, she turned and I said, where are we going? And she said, we're going to see a friend. It was then that I realized that something had happened. I didn't find out this until years later. What had happened is as soon as I left my life insurance agent's office, he picked up the phone and he called my mom and he just said, her name was Jean. Jean, I know things are a mess. I know you guys are trying to figure everything out, but none of that matters right now because I just saw your son. And if you don't do something today, he will not be here tomorrow. He picked something up intuitively. I never mentioned the word suicide. I was looking for a suicide exclusion clause, but I never mentioned that word. And, um, but he picked up on, well, come to find out he had gone through a suicidal depression 20 years prior. And so when she hung up the phone, she thought of the only other person that she knew of that had been through something very serious, very similar other than this friend. And she called him and said, my son's going to take his life. And he said, bring him right over. And so we pulled into this guy's office and I did not know. I, I knew of this guy and I knew that he was a local business guy, very successful, uh, very wealthy, very powerful. And he scared the crap out of me. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going into his office. And she said, well, he said, you might say that. So he's willing to come sit in the car with us. So we went in, I knew there was no way out of it at that point. And so we went into his office. We spent, we basically spent six hours with him, unpacked everything at the end of that time, Leo, this is the key. He did. He never told me, he said, he never said, I'll fix it. He never said, don't worry about it. He never said, I'll take care of it. He just said, I will walk with you through this. And he faithfully did that. And then he made a couple of phone calls. I was taken out. I was put under um, care for um, a couple of months. And uh, he's the one who actually called my wife because I was newly married. I didn't know what it was to be a husband. And I thought, you know, I needed to be macho and protect my wife from all this crap. You no, know, she knew there were problems. She didn't know how bad they were. So he called her and he met with her and told her what was going on. And, uh, and then while I was out, I was out for about nine months. Um, he brought a team of people in um, to reassess, to assess basically what was going on. And he ultimately helped us start over. And as I began help, began getting better, I mean, I was heavily medicated for a while, um, about three months. I was just heavily medicated and almost like sedated in a sedated state um, just to get my brain chemicals back in balance. I think, again, I didn't know any of this, like the, how the serotonin and the adrenaline and the dopamine all interact, especially when you're in a state of panic all the time. Um, I completely burned out my receptors. And so, um, so as I got better balanced chemically, then we started to work on the whole mental stuff. And I was in counseling then for six years. And, uh, and that's where I began to 
um, work on these tapes, these uh, these recordings in my head that I believed and they were lies. And so it, it took me a long time to begin to record over those lies. So anyway, long answer to your question, but I, I hope that's, you know, I hope that's helpful. We are here for the long answers, Matt. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we, I, I mean, to me, the, the, one of the reasons why I love a podcast and I like the long form and talking, you know, for an hour versus doing like a 20 minute is we need the full story. You know, mm. it, it's, when we live in such a world of sound bites and clips and, you know, you could have very easily came on here and been like, Hey, you know, I was, uh, you know, I was in private equity and investing and now I have this book called unsatisfied and it's for guys who, you know, wanna, who are feeling miserable, but even though they checked all the boxes and this here's how you can thrive. And, but it's these powerful stories of that connect with people that people remember mm. and people relate to. And it, it gives more gravitas to your journey, right? Now you're not a person just telling us how to, how to live a satisfied life from being, and you know, even though I know like in your book is not about being satisfied, it's actually about flourishing, yeah. but, um, and we're definitely going to get into that, but, uh, but it's these stories that give weight to the message and mm. it lets other people know who may be in that black hole surrounded by glass that there is a way out you know yeah and so i i really appreciate you taking the time to to tell that that full story there my pleasure um and i do want to dig a little bit more into it before we hop back into the book because you talked about medications and i think um i've never one i've never been one to take uh medications not or uh, like depression or anything like that. Um, and not that I don't need it, it's been recommended. But um, you shared that you took it for three months. My question is, how did you get off of it? Because we hear so much about the side effects of taking these medications and then getting off. What was your process for that? And, and, and please share with us, because you only took it for three months, what were the medications that kind of helped rebalance you? So, um, I was actually on medication a lot longer. I was on, um, sedatives for three months and, uh, and panic medication. So Xanax was the big one and it started out at a very high dose and, um, and then sleeping pills. So, um, at the time I was, I think it was Ambien, um, to help me sleep. And so the combination, and you had to be very careful on those mixes. You take too much of it and you'll, you'll wind up arresting your, uh, your heart will arrest. So you gotta be careful, but, um, so those, so basically it was Xanax during the day just to help me stay calm and not go into a state of panic and then ambient at night to help me sleep. Um, and then I was on two different antidepressants. I was on Zoloft and I was on Wellbutrin. Um, I weaned off of Zoloft after I think a year and I'm still taking Wellbutrin to this day and on a, on a low dose. And, and part of that's just to maintain, you know, the chemical balance, you know, I, I have a natural, I'm naturally high strung. I'm naturally, um, an anxious person. And, you know, part of that's my, just my wiring. And part of that's, uh, I, you know, my still ongoing issues that I'm still dealing with to this day. Um, but as far as, uh, the Xanax and the, and the Ambien Xanax, I weaned off. So we just went to lower and lower doses, um, as I began to get healthier, uh, especially as I got into counseling and began to work through some of the core issues, 
um, I became less anxious and didn't need that as much. And so, but it was a very structured wean off process. Um, the sleeping pills were much more difficult. I was on sleeping pills for a decade and, um, and finally got to the point of, you know what, I, I can't do this anymore. It's affecting my quality of sleep. I was dependent, obviously. Um, I didn't want to be dependent on anything, whether it's pills or alcohol or drugs or whatever. And I just want to put that stuff in my body. And so uh, the, the sleeping pills, I quit cold turkey. Don't recommend that at all. Um, I didn't sleep for, I did, literally didn't sleep for three weeks. And um, because it was on, I was on it for so long. Um, it, was, it was interesting. I just happened to be on a trip with my brother and I knew that sleep wouldn't be required. We were gone for, we were gone for two and a half weeks and I didn't sleep all two and a half weeks. Um, but after it was finally, after that was over, I, I sleep very well now, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, so those were those, that's, the, that's how I got off of those. Right on. And, and, um, to dig just a little bit deeper into the sleep, uh, issue, uh, do you snore or have sleep apnea? Yes, I do. I was diagnosed with sleep apnea, um, 2000, uh, da, 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 20 years ago, 2003. Wow. And are you doing something for that? Like the CPAP or mouthpiece or what are you doing for the sleep apnea? I wear a CPAP machine, a uh, CPAP mask every night. I very faithfully. Wow. All right. I, I appreciate you sharing that. And uh, yeah, cause the, 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 yeah, the details of your story is so fascinating. I'm, I'm, I'm super encouraged uh, by what you're sharing and, and I appreciate the, the courage that you have for sharing these aspects of it. Um, and then you talked about the, the stories or the tapes that were playing in your mind and um and how to address those so can you talk to us about that and like are you are you doing a self-talk of like i am a king i am valued i am worthy like what's your <laughs> so, <laughs> how, how are um, you uh how are you recording over over the old messages a lot of the messages that were going through my head had to do with um, core identity issues. Um, you know, literally uh, about a year into my counseling, my counselor looked at me one time and he said, I have one question for you for tonight. And he's like, I want you to answer this question. Who are you? And I literally tried to avoid it any way I could. And I, I got more and more angry with him. It was probably two years in, actually. He didn't know it. it was probably two years in. And uh, I got more and more irritated. And and finally, I looked at him and I said, I don't know who I am. I don't know how to answer your question. And and that was when our the my counseling took a, took a really uh, different turn. And he said, that's exactly what I thought you would say. And and so what we began to unpack, Leo, were these messages. Um, and you you mentioned this earlier. Um, because I was so driven and so, and I had, you know, basically I was living with something to prove, right. My, my dad left. And so it's like, and then my business, the business failed. And so it's like, okay, so how do I ever live up to this? You know, my, my dad left and I was cocky. I was arrogant and saying, oh yeah, I got this. No problem. I don't need him. And it failed. And so then how do I, you know, the new business did very well. It succeeded. But um, but I still had these messages in my head of I I have to prove that I'm not my father that I'm better than my father that this and this and this and and as a result of that rather than identifying with who I am and and figuring that out I was uh, I was identifying with who I'm not or who I don't want to be and so I never took the time to uh, to really answer those questions and so 
it was a it was a multi-year process really to begin to answer that question and begin to record new messages in my head of you know you're not a failure you're not like this you're not like that um and record over and say okay you are valuable you know you're not a piece of shit you're not uh, in in beginning to just say say the things that were true rather than the lies that i had i had filled my head with especially during those depression time that depression period where I believed every, every lie about me, you, you could say, Oh, you're such a failure. I'm like, yeah, I know I am. You know, you're a loser. Yep. I know you're nothing. Yep. Yep. I know you're dirt. Yep. I know. And, and I believed it. I honestly believed it. And so, um, and so all that had to be, I had to record new messages. You know, I, I do have value. I have something to offer to other people. Um, you know, my life ha- can have an influence on other people's lives. You know, I can stand for something. And, um, but it took a long time, Leo, and it took a lot of, of, of working with, uh, with a professional of, um, you know, helping me systematically work through those messages. And even to this day, they love to try to creep back in and say, no, 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 no. What I, I, we dealt with that. That's, that's a lie. Not going there. You said, uh, you know, recording new messages, did you literally record messages and play it back to yourself? Or is this are these just writing exercises? Um, so I actually did both. So I, I have a, I have a journal. Um, it's I, journals, plural. Um, I still have them. And um, a lot of more writing exercises of, of literally, okay, this is the lie. I mean, for, for two years, I kept a message. Uh, I kept a record of these are the lies that I hear. These are the lies that I believe. And what's the corresponding truth to that. And I did that. Um, almost daily. It wasn't, I would, I'm not going to say every day, but I did it on a very regular basis. And, um, and then there were certain messages that I would literally record and play back to me, especially if I was going into a, a lull or um, a, 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 I was getting down on myself or whatever, I would play those back and say, no, this is the truth um, of who you are. Oh, beautiful. Um, and I know in your book, you talk about uh, towards the end, like the great questions uh, one should ask themselves. Can you talk to us about what those questions are? Because I love a great question. Um, yeah, absolutely. Game changing questions. Yeah. Put me on the spot here. Um, game tra- game changing questions. I may have to look at my own book. I don't remember. Um, I know one of them, but uh, yeah, the the game changing questions are. You know, what is, what is your legacy? You know, what do you want yourself to stand? What do you want your life uh, to stand for? As you look at the end of your life and one of the, one of the, my favorite exercises to do with leaders and leadership teams today is to say, okay, I want you to fast forward to the end of your life. You know, imagine yourself at a ripe old age, however old you imagine yourself and look back, you know, what do you want to be remembered for? What is your legacy going to stand for? Because the questions, the, the the stories I was hearing from all those leaders who were, were devastated was that they never intentionally thought about their legacy. They thought their legacy was tied to their business somehow. And when it came right down to it, they realized it was not about their business. It was not about money. It was about their family. It was about relationships. It was about other human beings. And, um, and the other one is, you know, what is your why? Really understanding your purpose in life. Why do you think you you're here? Why were you born? Why were you created? What, what are you here for? What's your purpose? 
and and really aligning, okay, what is it that I, I talk about this in the book, I talk about the intersection of four critical factors in your life to, to lead to a, um, to, to pursue a flourishing life. You know, what is your, what is your purpose? Why are you here? What is your calling? What are you passionate about? What are you really skilled and good at doing? And how do other people say that you contribute value? And when we begin to really think about those four things, what is my calling? In other words, what's my why? Why am I here? And it, it, and if you think about it, you know, if you look, think back about your childhood, you know, what there's something more than likely at some point in your childhood where you're like, oh, wow, I want to be a firefighter. I want to be a police officer. I want to be an astronaut or I want to be a pilot or or whatever. For me, it was in my mid-teens. I knew that I wanted to, um, I knew I wanted to, to, to write and speak. Um, but it took me literally 30 years to have the the courage, if you will, to say, you know what, I'm going to pursue the dream that I believe that I was called to when I was 15 years old. Um, but most, a lot of people, I was just going to say most, a lot of people never take the leap and say, I'm going to go for it. Instead, they live a life of of quiet existence where they're miserable. Yeah, I've heard a number of people talk about getting back to what you were excited about or called to as a child and uh and, and somehow incorporating that into what you're doing now in, in, in terms of finding your meaning because i think a lot of times we get caught up in what our parents want or what the business needs or mm -hmm. what our family wants or what society's expecting and we, you know so we start checking those boxes and say hey look at my awards look at my degrees look at my bank account look at my cars and then you go Oh, but I actually don't care about any of those things. I just I want to like open up a surf shop in Bali and <laughs> and wear flip flops. Amen, brother. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Amen. <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> so you talk about flourishing, and and this is fascinating because you know my always my LLC is Thrive with Leo LLC, mm. and I always talk about Thrive with me, and there's so many books titled Thrive, you know. But you say that there's another level beyond thriving, which is flourishing. Talk to us about what, so to me, then it sounds like there's surviving, which is like you're just getting by. Then there's thriving, and then there's flourishing. What's the difference between thriving and flourishing? Yeah, great question. Uh, and that was what I, I wrestled with for, um, for five years before I even wrote the book. Um, so about five years before I started writing uh, this model that's in the book came to mind and it's this triangle model with five levels. The bottom level is diminishing. And these are people that have, they just kind of given up on life. They don't see any path for them. They don't know why they're here. Um, and they're not even going to try. And, and then the next layer is surviving. And those are people that, you know, they're, they're wonderful people. They get up every day and they do whatever it takes to survive that day. Um, and whatever it takes to get through the workday, whatever it takes. Um, but there's very little focus beyond today. And then there's um, striving. So striving is, you know, either it's an awakening or whatever it is, there's a desire to move out of this daily survival mode to, okay, I, I need to do something to better myself. I need to get education, training, skill set, whatever it is, mentoring. And um, I got to figure out a different path for me. And then there's thriving. And in in for a long time, that's all I had. I had those four. Thriving were the people I was talking to. 
I mean, they're they're the people that if you think about it, you know, they're they have they have discretionary income, they have houses, they have cars, they can take vacations, they have money in their bank account, whatever it is. You would look at them and look at their lives and say, "Wow, they are thriving." And that's what I thought too for many years. That's the life that I was pursuing. But then I began to hear the rest of the story, if you will. There's a nod of the hat to Paul Harvey, rest rest in peace. Um, when when um, when they would begin to turn and they would say, "But I'm absolutely dead inside. I'm miserable. I'm unsatisfied. I'm devastated." And so at that point, that's where I began questioning. Okay, so what is it then? If if I if this was somebody I would look at without knowing their story, and say, "Wow, they have it all," but yet you look under the hood and you hear their story and they're like, oh my gosh, this person is completely broken. So what is beyond thriving? And, and that's the question I asked for five years. What is beyond thriving? Um, in fact, the working title of the book originally was beyond thriving, but then when I test marketed it, nobody understood what I was trying to say. And so, um, so then I had, um, so two years before about, about a, uh, about uh, a year before I started writing the book, I had lunch with a friend. And he used the word flourish. And I'm like, flourish. I said, tell me about that. And so he did. And it it was it didn't really connect, but the words just captured me. And so I did a word study on flourish. And and what I found is is that thriving and, and thriving as well. Thriving is a focus on me, the the, the individual. It's a pro focus on an accumulation, accumulation of wealth, power, knowledge. Um, things and stuff, if you will, whatever it is you think will bring you happiness and satisfaction in life. It's a pursuit of those things. And whereas flourishing is a focus on out, it's not in, it's out. I've been given, I'm going to give. I have been invested, I'm going to invest out. It's a focus on being committed to and living for, for something bigger than me. It's a focus on legacy. It's a focus on, 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 giving back, if you will, or living out. And so I was immediately captured like, that's it. That's the word. It's the word flourishing. How do I pursue a flourishing life? And, um, and so that's how I, that's how I differentiate the two. Um, now in the book, I'm very clear that whatever level you're at, um, if other than if you're at the diminishing level, you know, let's talk because, you know, I want to really do my best to help you out of that level because that's a dangerous level to be at. Um, but the other ones, if, if you're at that level and that's where you want to be and you're intentionally choosing that, that's fine. Then live that with live that out fully in your life. And if it stops working for you, though, consider a different path. Um, because really the, the call to action for the book is live an intentional life. You know, don't live an unintentional life. And that's what I kept hearing these people tell me over and over is like, if I could do it over again, if I could do it differently. And it's like, well, why didn't you? And there was almost this sense of, of helplessness that, that, well, they didn't know any other way. And so rather than just keep going on that way, let's have the conversation now. It doesn't matter what, how old you are or what you're doing. Let's talk about it now. So it sounds like when we talk about flourishing, it's just about really being intentional about what you're doing, because I think a lot of being in survival mode or even thriving, you're you're running on uh, somebody else's script. You're you're running off mm -hmm. somebody else's program, or you can be. I mean, some people are thriving on their own program, yeah. but if you get to that point where you still feel unsatisfied, um, 
burned out, overwhelmed and and empty, then you might be operating on somebody else's uh, expectations, so to speak. Yeah. And flourishing is like when you're like, no, I actually want to do this. I've thought about it. And this is what feeds me. It, it, it may not feed the bank account necessarily, but sometimes it does. Sometimes exactly. the thing that, you know, I, I look at, uh, you know, like Facebook. I mean, Mark Zuckerberg may be a horrible example, but he was just trying to connect people, you know, at, at least initially. Like that was his whole thing of like, how do we get people to connect? And, and it, boom, now he's, I'm going to assume he's flourishing. I don't know how he really feels inside. But, um, but it, but it came from an internal, like he was intentional about what he was trying to do. And I think that's why he's been able to continue to grow over time. Um, I, is it possible to move in and out of those levels? Mm. Meaning once we get to flourishing, are we done? Is that like, oh, okay, now we don't we don't, we're never going to fall back to survival or diminishing, or is it kind of like a rhythm or pattern or just kind of being aware of where you are right now? Yeah. Uh, once again, another, another great question. Um, so the, the two of the criticisms I've gotten from the book and, and they're, um, they're justifiable is one is it, it, it seems like I'm railing on people who have, um, who are wealthy, who have arrived or whatever words you want to put around that. And I, I, I'm not at all. I know many people who are flourishing and are really, they're really wealthy. Um, but it's, 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 it's your mental approach and your attitude toward it and your purpose behind it. You know, you used Mark Zuckerberg. I don't know him personally, so I can't tell you if he's flourishing or not. Um, maybe he is. Um, I know a lot of very wealthy people that are, I know some that are not, you know, and, and you can look at their behavior patterns if they're continuing to keep trying to find fulfillment and satisfaction in life, chances are they're not living at that flourishing level. They're still at that thriving level of trying to find, you know, what it is that's going to fill that hole in my soul, if you will, um, to bring me lasting satisfaction. Whereas flourishing is I'm satisfied with who I am. I'm satisfied with where I'm are, with, with where I'm at, with, with, with where I, where I am in life. And I'm no longer trying to fill that hole because I'm confident that that hole in my soul is filled. And so, um, but to your question about, you know, moving, yes, I believe that we move in and out. And I also believe that depending upon different roles, and I talk about this at the end of the book as well, is we may be in different roles and different levels. You know, I could be thriving in my career and maybe flourishing in my physical life, uh, uh, physical fitness or whatever, health, and I may be barely surviving in my marriage. Now, thank God I'm not, but, um, but so I, so you can look at this, you can slice this onion different ways. And I encourage people to do that is, you know, don't just look at your life as a whole, uh, do that, but then also look at it by role and look at it. You know, how are you doing in different areas? Because those are the areas then, um, where you can say, you know what, I, I'm not, I'm not doing too great right now in the dad role. You know, I, I need to be more intentional about spending time with my kids or, you know, maybe my spouse or whatever it is. Does that, does that make sense? I love it. Holes and rolls. That's going to be the name of this podcast episode. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's great. Uh, I, you know, you have a chapter in, in your book, Unsatisfied, uh, titled Burn the Ships. Mm. And I, I love it because I'm a huge Ro- uh, Robert Greene fan. And mm. in his book, I think it was 48 Laws of Power, 
he talks about burning the ships is this idea of um setting things ablaze so that you can't turn back so that you're forced to only move forward and take action talk to us about how burning the ships helps one to flourish oh um i think that it's difficult i'll share from my personal experience so when i started on this journey um in in earnest two years ago um i i gave it about so i focused the first part of my journey strictly on writing the book i was not focused on client acquisition at that point and and so i was all in on writing but i wasn't all in on the business because in the back of my mind i'm like you know what i'm employable i can always get a job this gig doesn't work out blah 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 and and it was it was right in the middle of writing the book where a dear friend of mine mentor he's now on my um my personal board uh, and um he he took me out for a beer and he's like he's like you're not all in and i said what do you mean and he said you are keeping other options open and as long as you keep other options open you're not going to give this your 100% effort he says i know you he's like you because he's like you're basically allowing yourself to fail so that you can go do something else and then say, well, I gave it a shot. Oh, well, shucks. He's like, that. you're not doing yourself any favors. You're not doing your family any favor. And you're not doing us any favors. Um, us being his, my mentor, my friend. And um, and I said, okay. I said, then what are you telling me? And that's when, I, that's when he said, and I had heard this before, but he's like, you need to burn the ships, man. You need to be all in on this. And he's like, and if you're not all in on this, that's fine. Then you need to be honest with yourself and your family and others. And you need to go get a job. But he said, because he says, I'm not going to sit here and watch you ride this fence and watch you keep other alternatives open. Um, he's like, you know, other alternatives should not be in the mix until there are no other alternatives. And he said, and, and as far as I'm concerned, that's way down the road. And he's like, and I don't think it's ever going to happen. But he said, you need to be completely all in on this. And so I think it applies anywhere, Leo. I mean, if we have other alternatives open and we keep the door open for other things that can happen, then I think that we become um, less focused on what we're supposed to be doing. And, and when we're less focused, then we can, you know, we can say, we can justify, I often say, hey, give me anything, uh, give me any sin and I can tell you how to justify it. Um, and it's a terrible way to live. And, um, but yet we do that. We are, we, we tell ourselves these lies, we play these games in our heads and so as long as I thought I had other viable options or anybody has viable options, like, well, you know, I can try this for a while. And if I don't like it or it gets uncomfortable or it gets too difficult, which I'm telling you, and, and you know, this starting a business is dang difficult. It's hard. And, but as long as I have other alternatives, I'm not going to give my all because then I can, I can legitimately tell myself, even though it's not fully true. Oh, I tried, you know, it didn't work. Dang. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And and for anybody who's listening, uh, I don't want you to immediately drop everything and burn all your ships, you know, because <laughs> no. Matt also shared earlier how he weaned himself off his prescription meds. And so it's about weaning, you know, for some of you might be able to just drop some things cold turkey. But for most of us, we it's just about setting the intention of I'm going to focus on this one thing and. But in the meantime, I'm going to wean myself off these other things. So you might go from a full time to a part time to a weekend to a like whatever works for you and creating a timeline for that. Yep. So I, I don't want anybody to be like, hey, well, on the podcast, you, you know, um, well, behind, stated. thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> but 
behind you, Matt, you have these two stuffed animals that are staring <laughs> right at me the whole time. And and I'm noticing it because I I know some other people uh have stuffed animals to represent their alter egos. Can you, can you <laughs> and I and I know this is an audio podcast, so can you describe what the stuffed animals are and if you're comfortable with it and and the purpose of having it on your bookshelf behind you? Um yeah, sure. Um, so one of them is Bill the Cat. One of my favorite um, cartoons of all times was Bloom County. And uh, unfortunately, um, Berkeley Breath no longer does the uh, the, the strip. But um, in that strip was uh, Bill the Cat and Opus the Penguin. Two of them are my two favorite characters. And I identified if I had if I had an Opus stuffed animal, he'd be behind me because uh, he was my favorite, actually. But um what I liked about him, what I liked about Bill was that he was always this character that he never said anything and he was always just kind of out there. He was the he was the unaccepted one of the group, if you will. Um, but yet everybody loved him. I mean, he became a beloved character. And I identify with that because um just my basic personality, you know, thank God I, I'm learning to become more self-aware. But when I was younger, um, I was often I often didn't fit in, I often was rejected. And I was told things like, you're just, you're just too blunt, man. You're too harsh. You're too direct. You're too this, you're too that. And, and basically what people said is, uh, we can't handle you. We can't handle all of you. You know, I, I get that a lot today. You know, there are very few people that I let see me all on, all in full on because I'm still afraid of that rejection factor. Right. And so I identify with Bill because everything he was in, he was rejected, um, and then the other one is just a, uh, it's a, it's one of those, um, crazy chickens. It was a, it was, uh, one of the, uh, first gifts that my oldest son got me and, and he's, and, uh, it was a joke attached to it of, well, dad, you're always, uh, you're always like a running around like a chicken with his head cut off. And so they found this, you know, crazy chicken and it was a joke. It was, uh, probably 15 years ago. So I keep that on my shelf to remind me, slow down. Yeah, you, you definitely. I feel like you'd be a great sportscaster or like a, a sports announcer. You got like Burt Kreischer energy for sure. Uh, I don't know if you know that he's a, he's a comedian, the machine. Um, I've heard of it. Yeah, I've heard of him. Yeah, thanks for that. Is are there is there anything that we haven't discussed uh, from your book or from your story that you think would be of relevance to our listeners? Um. I, I think probably we've covered most of it. I guess I would just offer this as a, as a, as a parting thought. And that is, um, you know, life is difficult and uh, we're never promised an easy road. In fact, most times we're promised a difficult road. And I would say that um, the more that the older I get, hopefully I also get a little wiser. I've learned two very important principles in life. And for my personality, they've been the most, some of the most difficult. And that is that, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I need people in my life. I can't do it alone and I can't be a maverick. Even though my natural personality is to be a maverick and be, do it on my own. I need people. And more importantly, I need God. And without those two things in my life, I am incomplete. And I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep striving to find this ways to fill this hole inside of my soul. And if I keep centered on, I need God, I need people. It makes life, it makes that path, even though it's difficult, it makes it much more bearable. And so I just encourage anybody that may be wrestling with, I got this hole in my soul, just consider that. 
So now we're going to name this podcast Holes, Rolls, and Souls. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, Matt, this was awesome. It was great having you on. And I have a question. Uh, one last question. I ask it of all my guests. And you kind of answered it in, in your last, uh, in your closing remarks. Um, I always imagine there's one person listening in who may be on the precipice of wanting to end their life. Before you kill yourself, what would you say to them, Matt? Wow. Dude, that's a that's a deep one. Um, um Wow. Um many things are going through my head. Um the first thing that came to mind is um think about those that'll be left behind. Um the second one is um this too shall pass. Thank you so much, Matt. And I said that was the last question. I guess it was the penultimate question. Uh, what are you looking forward to in the next 24 hours? Next 24 what? 24 hours. What are you looking forward to? Well, I have a um, I have my quarterly uh, uh, board meeting tomorrow. Um, and so I always look forward to being with those with uh, with them. And uh, so I'm looking forward to that. And then um, tomorrow night I get to get together with a, uh, some dear friends who have been out of the country for the last month. And so I haven't seen them in a while. So those two things I'm just, I'm stoked for. Wow. Thank you so much, Matt. Thank you so much listeners for tuning in, get his book unsatisfied. Uh, it's available anywhere you can get a book. Uh, remember this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help. You call the nine, eight, eight or any of the international mm -hmm. phone numbers listed in all the show notes, whether you're in the Ukraine, the Philippines, India, Bucharest, wherever you are, or there's someone that you can chat, talk, or text. Um, you can always go to Thrive with, I should change it to Flourishing with Leo. You can go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one -on -one coaching with yours truly. Let's get to tomorrow together. Thanks a lot, Matt. Thank you, Leo.